Our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's amazing to me that our Christian tradition handed on to us four Gospels. It would have seemed more simple to have a book where you just had one storyline of like, okay, here's the story of Jesus, and it was just, okay, this is the one picture. But we have a beautiful fourfold gospel story that's been handed on to us. And it might be weird to be able to imagine yourself back into the first century when the Gospel of Mark is the earliest gospel written and it's handed on to communities and it does not start with Jesus' birth. It's just John the Baptist's ministry, Jesus gets baptized and he just does his adult life ministry. And you might wonder, well, tell me more. And so Matthew and Luke want to tell you a little bit more. And I love that someone gave the image of the intros to Matthew and Luke and John as kind of like our modern equivalent of the back cover of a book, of you want to read a little snippet to know what this story is all about. If I give you just a little bit of words, can you know what, who Jesus is and what the story's like? And so for the Gospel of Luke, you get stories of the lowly people. You get the shepherds hearing that Jesus is born. You get the mother who gets the announcement from the angel. In the Gospel of Matthew, you get magi and kings and Joseph and this great story and genealogy of Jesus. But John says that he's interested in something a little bit different. He says, let's go back even further than Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. In the beginning was the word. If you want any clue of any biblical writer's awareness that he's writing scripture, starting with the first words of Genesis, in the beginning, but then adding a little bit of a twist to the story. Not in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. And so we have a story in John that's beginning with, with who is Jesus in relationship to the entire universe. And so today, we want to talk about what does it mean to say, in the beginning, God? In the beginning was the Word. And what does the universe tell us about who God is? And so we're going to be talking about God and time. And this is a challenging concept to get right in our heads. And so I just want to give you permission. If you're like, okay, I'm trying to understand this, just keep going on the journey. It's okay if you ever feel like you're confused. This universe is grand it's a little confusing sometimes, too. So I want to give you three science facts about the universe to set up our discussion about God and time. First, the universe is just so huge. It's huge spatially, but it's also huge time-wise. And so scientists, when they look at the age of the universe and they, they try to date the universe, the way that they date it is they look at light from distant stars and galaxies. And as that time gets spread out, the light gets further and further stretched, which with wavelengths means it gets further and further redder until it gets where we can't visibly see it with our human eyes and it gets infrared. But it keeps stretching and stretching 
And so you can see this light and you can do a calculation to figure out, well, what was that light originally? How far away is that light? And therefore, when we know the speed of light, we know how far it's been traveling and how long it's been traveling. And so there's that, and there's also the expansion of the universe and measuring all these distances. But scientists tell us that the universe itself is about 14 billion years old. That means when you look up at the night sky and there's light that you can't even see. And so our sermon graphic is actually a James Webb telescope photo which looks into the night sky, into the darkness of the night sky, to pull infrared light, to look at you know, the galaxies that our eyes can't even see. And our brains can't even understand 14 billion. It's why when we talk about billionaires, our minds can't understand the economics of actually how much money a billion dollars is. But how much time is 14 billion years, and what is it for God to create a universe with such an expansive scope, uh, it's hard for us to get our minds around it. So here's an illustration. Now, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson has an illustration of time as a 100-yard football field. And I know the World Cup's going on, but we're talking American football, uh, 100-yard field, with each yard having a little marker. If you put all of the universe of 14 billion years of time into a 100-yard field, where does humanity show up. At, you go to the goal line, so you've gone the 100 yards, you go to the goal line and you pick up one blade of grass and that thickness of that grass is human civilization. We are very late on the scene and it is therefore really hard to imagine 14 billion years. If you think about you know, for the Michigan fans in the room, it might have felt like 100 yards wasn't that far in the fourth quarter as they kept scoring, but 100 yards is a long ways. And if one blade of grass is our history, that's not very far. And so all of human history is in that tiny little thing. What's crazy is that uh, if you look at when life, actually, let's say here, here's a good spot for us. Our solar system, which feels pretty constant and pretty lengthy in time, our solar system shows up at about 66 or 67 yards of that 100-yard field. About two-thirds of the universe's time, our solar system doesn't even exist on the timeline. It's just unfathomable to imagine what that kind of time scope means. And the craziness of this James Webb telescope this telescope is able to look back to about the seven-yard line and look at 93 yards of that field of time. It's really hard to understand the age of the universe. And what is it to proclaim a God, the God of all time, the God before there was a beginning, a God of time that, that is so expansive and massive? And so that's the first thing. If you can get that time is long, God is somehow bigger than that. Number two, time is relative. And this is very confusing to us as well. So sure, time is, has been around a long time, but Einstein did a bunch of math, and every so often we do calculations, we're like, oh my goodness, Einstein was right. And scientists always enjoy, they usually get some award around, oh my goodness, he was right, here's the proof of it. 
And so Einstein was trying to understand things about energy and movement, and he came across that time was relative. And that's why, if you've ever heard the term space-time, that somehow time is tied to the space that we inhabit. And so time moves faster or slower based on two things, how fast you move or how much gravity you have. So if you are moving like close to the speed of light, time ticks differently for you. It slows down. It doesn't feel different, but it's different. If you were really close to the sun or really close to a black hole and gravity was really strong, time would tick slower there too. And we've been able to see this at work. Um, our GPS satellites are, enough, are far enough away from the Earth's surface that gravity is a little different there. And so all of our satellites have been pre-programmed with change your time calculation by this amount to make sense of that they have to tell us our time and those satellites have to do the calculation of their time and our time and send us our time. There's some chemicals that they dissolve, they die at a certain rate. For example, they, they die at six minutes. Every six minutes, you set a timer, this chemical dies. But if you send it around an, uh, an accelerator close to the speed of light, it gets done, it's been six minutes, the thing is still alive. And it's waiting because time has slowed down for it. If you, it's very confusing, but if you want a fun way of talking about time is relative, go watch the movie Interstellar, Christopher Nolan's movie, uh, Matthew McConaughey's the lead in it. Uh, it's a story about humanity trying to find a life to live somewhere else as the planet's dying, is the premise of its story. But the astronaut is trying to explain to his daughter that he's leaving for a mission, that time will be different, and that when he gets home, old, when he gets home, she will be older than him. And he has not realized yet that as a parent, he just told her the scariest thing he could tell her. And suddenly she doesn't want him to go on this mission because she's realized, my, you're, you're my dad, you're gonna be gone and I'll never experience you again. Like what on earth is it to be older than your parent? But that's the weirdness of how time works, that it's relative to our speed, to our gravity. Last thing on science, so time is very long, <laughs> it's relative. And third, light is very strange when it comes to time. Because we keep saying if you get close to the speed of light, time slows down. But what's weird is for light itself, it doesn't tick at all. Light doesn't have time. We can measure it in time as it takes a certain distance for us to see it but it instantly arrives wherever it goes. It's very peculiar. And so it's weird that for us, like if you look at the sun, you're looking eight and a half minutes into the past because that's how long light takes to get from the sun to us. But if you were that photon of light, you left the sun's surface and you arrived here in the same moment and all life comes speeding by. And so what on earth is it to talk about a God of such an unusual, weird universe where something we take for granted as time is actually a little bit more stranger than we expect? So what is it to say that God is the Lord of time? I want to pause to say that in human imagination, being in control of time seems scary. Almost all of our stories about anybody in control of time is like a scary movie, a scary story. If you think about the classic H.G. Wells, The Time Machine, 
he's going further and further in the future, but it's a scary thing. And, and civilization gets weirder and it gets uh, more dangerous for him to survive. Uh, there's a British show, Do Doctor Who, where uh, the, the main character is the doctor and he's this time lord and all of the rest of his race of time lords are seen as really bad guys. And he's supposed to be the one good person, but he continually questions, am I good as a time lord? Uh, if you're into the Marvel movies that are out all the time right now and shows, uh, they've had a time variance authority and, a, and a, the new villain of the next phase is, is a multiversal enemy who is manipulating time. We tend to feel like people who are in control of time are tyrants instead of heroes. And so a lot of wrestling goes into, God, who are you, the God of all time, when I know what pain I experience? You can be like Job, what have I done to deserve this time? And so in eras like in the 1900s when you've got the Holocaust, and people are saying, who is God in the midst of human history? And so we, we wonder, what kind of God is it in control of all things? One quirky way of dealing with this throughout church history is through paintings. You've probably, if you imagine God, a lot of you might imagine the white-haired, bearded God on a throne somewhere, right? Uh, the Ancient of Days. Now, uh, you know, I don't know why for folks, for, for the men in the room, if, if you, your hair does not stay on your head in the same way, I don't know why we always have to have a, a flowing hair picture of God on the throne in this Ancient of Days, but, but you see the white hair, the white beard in the picture. But what's kind of interesting is Eastern churches took this Ancient of Days imagery and put it on Jesus, more than God the Father? Because what they wanted to say was, well, how do we talk about Jesus born in Bethlehem having existed from the beginning of time? How on earth do we portray that? And so, enter into church history the weirdest and creepiest photos of Jesus and babies in general. If you go look up medieval, if you just Google medieval scary babies, I feel like you'll see pictures where the babies don't look like babies, they look like adults in weird baby form. So I've got one photo for us, and it might be hard from where you're seated online, you can might see it. Um, but it's Jesus with like shredded abs as a baby. His hair is receding. Um, it's, it's just weird. But it's their attempt to try to say, what is it to say that this person has existed for all time, that he's, he's older than he looks? but he's also been apparently working out for quite a while in this painting. But we don't really know how to grasp this, of how is Jesus and the Christ at work in the world from the beginning of time? And so I want to invite us into a few thoughts this morning about what to do with all of this. Um, the first is, I'm going to read Ecclesiastes. Actually, I've got it here. 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I think there's something important in us to recognize the goodness of something is not dependent on 
this specific moment, that maybe there's a, a larger time scale to the goodness evaluation than what we might be prepared for. And so I was thinking, you know, this last week, we had a lot of Christmas decorations going on, right? Rooms get chaotic, tubs come out, uh, pine needles go everywhere, glitter explodes. And if you showed up in the midst of decorating, you might say, what a mess. Why are we doing this? What's the point of this? What's the purpose? It's a waste of time. But when it gets set into its fullness and it's complete, you get to stand back and go, oh, it was beautiful. It was worth it. Somehow that mess ended up into something beautiful. And for us, sometimes we're protesting that why does this look this way and we're in the middle of creation, we're not at the finish line of it. And so what is it in our life that maybe there are some things that we are struggling to see the beauty of, struggling to see where God's bringing something good, and we need to say, from my rushed standpoint, I need to just hold on to that there's going to be something good here. I haven't seen it yet, but something good will come about of this. There is a beauty for its time and its season. He has every, made everything beautiful in its time. And so today, maybe you just need to expand your time reference as you evaluate what's going on in your life, where, where God might be leading you, what God might be saying to you. I also think that God's vantage point of time helps free us from our present. For some of us, our present is so overbearing that we just, we feel like we're prisoners of it. We can't imagine a world that looks any differently. We can't imagine a, a world that looks freer. Uh, for that first century Christian, what is it to see Rome's domination and to see their fear tactics of putting people on crosses and say, God, you are the ruler of all. I'm going to trust that a crucified Lord wins out. That's the summary of the book of Revelation. We turn it into a lot of just only future predictions or something but it's telling the beautiful story of a, of a slaughtered lamb that is more powerful than the beasts of the earth. Can we get out of the prison, our imprisonment to the present and imagine a future, God's future, that's bigger and greater and more loving than we are experiencing even today? And so I think about in our own country's history that um, during the time of slavery, there were a lot of slave owners who thought, there's no way possible that we can liberate people. How do we economically survive? How do we society-wise survive? Because they couldn't imagine past that present moment. And there's ways in which we do this in our own lives, in our own ways. But God's freedom, God's love, God's liberation has a way of shattering walls and building and creating new worlds where better things are possible better life is possible. One of my favorite images uh, in theology is from Wolfhart Pannenberg, who was an interesting theologian. He grew up during Nazi Germany, and he grew up around churches that were kind of bending the knee to the state. And he encountered a pastor from a confessing church who was willing to stand up to the state, and his view of religion and faith completely changed. And so he wanted to make sense of this person's life and what he saw and how do we make sense of the world. And one of the things that he, he brought to theology that has value 
is he described the cross and resurrection, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, as like a flash forward, fancy words, a prolectic moment. But if you think about a a TV show that foreshadows something, and maybe it gives you a little glimpse of the time ahead of now, like we're not there yet, but just to give you a little taste of what's coming, here's a little glimpse. And for him, the cross and resurrection were not moments in our past, but moments of our future that we got to look into from our vantage point. What is it to see Jesus as, as not a person of the past, but a person of our future, that we might go to the grave but be raised again, that we might be shamed and made to feel low, but then be lifted up and raised on high. So can we imagine a future that's not all doomsday, but has already been a sneak peek of resurrection and hope? So can we imagine getting out of our present Can we imagine expanding our time reference before we say what's good or bad? Can we be more urgent with our time? There was a fun analogy about time being different for different people. Um, We we all know like people say that dogs, kind of their time frames, like every year is a seven years based on their life expectancy. And I love that uh, someone pushed it forward and said, well, that means every day is seven days for a dog. And so when you took them out to walk and then you come back home half day later, well, three years or three days have passed in that dog's time scale. And they're like, are we going outside again? That the dog wants to live life faster and faster because their time scale is just different. And maybe they appreciate time a little bit more. But what is it for us? We, we're such a small part of all of the universe's history. What is it to, to love the time that we've been given? to hold on to it dearly, to not let it rush by, but to make the most of every moment. I think for a lot of us, like I went and Googled, what are sermons about God and time? And almost every single hit was about we need to be patient because God's timing is slower than ours is kind of the, the usual assumption. But I love there's a verse in 2 Peter that says something quite different. 2 Peter 3 verse 8 and 9 says, But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. We usually stop there. But the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So I love the beauty of 2 Peter saying, you feel like you keep having to wait on God. God has been waiting on you and everybody else for a long time. Maybe we should have more urgency to God. Maybe I shouldn't have waited so many years to say yes to this thing I knew God wanted to do in my life. But it says that God has a long patience with us of I'm going to trust that my life and my light is going to finally take hold and eventually will bring about the world that I'm trying to build. And so what if we chose to be more urgent, to make the most of our time, to say yes quickly to God, instead of delaying our feet. And lastly, if there's one thing that you take from today, one image, one idea, I think for many of us when we experience pain in our life, our natural question is, God, where are you? Right, anybody prayed that before? God, where are you? I think it might be helpful for us to take a little moment in our lives and say, God, when are you? 
Just a little vantage point difference, just to reflect on, God, when are you? What is it for God to be present with you on your very worst day? And what is it for God to be present with you on your very best day? And that God can sit in all of that, all the things you hide from, all the things that you want to show off about, but even more, that God can see you at your fully transformed, fully renewed, fully realized self. We say, God, make me like your son. What is it for God to see you and see you like Jesus? Because God can also see the finish line. And so, what is it to ask God, when are you? Where are you present in my past in ways that I haven't seen? Anybody had those moments where something clicked? You're like, I had that experience, and five years, ten years later, suddenly it's come back around again. God, how did you do that? How are you at work in this thing that I didn't even notice? And for some of us, God is in the midst of bringing you the thing that you most want, but yeah, it's not in your present moment. It's some other time. But it doesn't mean God said no to it. It might have been just yes at some other place. And so what is it to just sit mystically with God, the God of the universe, the God of all time, the God who's made all things, and just trust that he's renewing you and renewing the world on God's time? And so today, I don't know what your relationship is with time, but I would guess for a lot of you, it's feeling like you don't have enough. Whether that's because the work week is so hectic, uh, kids need whatever they need, you just, you're rushing through life and you just feel like you don't have enough time. For some, you've looked at the scope of your life and you're wondering how much longer you've got. What is it to rest in the God who holds all of time together. He holds all of history, can go back and forth, visit any moment in the, in the time of all things. And what is it then to then just cherish this present moment? This is the only time you get this moment. We do not get to traverse time back and forth easily. That's not our skill. God has not chosen to give that to us. But what he has given is a beautiful recognition that our present moment matters. This moment matters. And so I hope today that you might take advantage of your time today. That you might reflect on what God is calling you to do. That you might say yes to God. That you might rest in God. And know that what you bring to today when you say yes to God is enough. Because God takes it and builds new creation from that. So, this Advent season, may it not rush by as we just want it to be Christmas. May we sit a little while in Advent and just cherish what it is to expect God's movement into the world afresh. Let's be present today. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this moment which those who are here in person, those who are with us online, that we get to worship you together. We thank you for the beauty 
of creation that we drive through, that we walk through, that we look out at. Lord, we ask that you might make us mindful of all the beauty that you've created in our lives, that we might take notice of the grandness of what you've provided for us. Lord, we ask that you might move our hearts to say yes to you today, that we might not wait till tomorrow, but we might just say yes to whatever you're inviting us into. And Lord, just as those waited for Jesus 2,000 years ago, Lord, we long for the fullness of your healing, of your new creation, of the world set right. Lord, I ask that you might help set our hearts on fire for your kingdom on this earth, and that we might not hold on to the present age that falls away. Lord, we thank you for this day. It's in your name we pray. Amen.